Good Erev Shabbos, boy say, dear friends, we're in Parsha's Truma, approaching the reading of Parsha Zachar and Purim and all the wonderful, exciting things, and uh, unbelievable lessons to be learned in, in the Avodos Hashem that were commanded in this week's Parsha. Parsha's Truma starts with a description of Truma, a number of very important ways of understanding Truma. Number one, the Pasuk says, Vayikuli Truma, Me'eis kol Yisrael, Asher Yidveno Libo, Tiku Es Trumasi. And then the next Pasuk continues, Vizos HaTruma. So there's two points we're going to want to discuss. Point number one, what is the concept of truma in general at all? What is it talking about? What is this term, truma? And number two, of course, why the word truma is mentioned three times in Tupsukim, where seemingly the Pasa could have easily done with simply saying truma once. So we'll start with the first question first. What is the word truma? So Rashi is bothered by the same thing. Truma, of course, comes uh, grammatically from a language of uh, ram, of uplifted, of uplifting something. Um, and uh, elevating it. So Rashi says, it's a language of hafrasha, of separating off. Truma to separate off, but then Rashi continues and explains Yafrishu mi mi memonum nadava. You have to separate off to me from your money. So the Guarie picks up on the fact that it has to be the Rashi's stressing over here that Truma. A language of hafrasha means connotes separation, separating off some from the rest. And the obvious question is why is there a need to separate off some from the rest? Meaning the Pasik really, Rashi is telling us that the Pasik by using the word truma, truma means always hafrasha, means separating some off from the rest, and that's what Rashi uh, goes on to explain, that yes, the requirement is specifically to separate some of your money, but not all of your money. And the obvious question is why? Why can't a person give everything? Then it wouldn't be called truma, it would be, I don't know, magbia, elevate to me. Uh, elevate to me uh, what you have. Uh, so here there's a hakpada that it should be specifically uh, separation. And it, it comes out from this a very big concept that uh, that which is roi, lelokus, that which is fit for the divine, has to be the choiciest thing. If I, if a, a person might say, listen, I have here a bucket with 
10 apples. This is what I have. I have 10 apples. I could either give to Hashem, to the Kohen, to the Beis Hamikdash. I could give these two gorgeous, some of the most beautiful apples in this bucket. Two really, really beautiful apples out of 10. Or I give the whole thing. I'll give the whole basket with the rotten ones. And with the ones that are not so good, they're all beat up. But uh, listen, I'm giving more. I'm giving the two plus the eight extra. So here we learn no. Here we learn le- to give less. That's more refined. That's more. Pr- that's more uplifted. Is better than to give everything, because when you're giving everything, it doesn't connote in itself uh, any sense of of uh, being transcendent. Of being uplifted, meaning we are by definition in a physical world. We're talking about apples, we're talking about physical objects. So that already, to a certain extent, makes it disconnected from spiritual. Unless I say, yeah, but look, this physical object, I made it special, I made it different, I made it uplifted, I, it, it's the nicest one of all. Oh, so if that's the case, then maybe that one can be elevated to a higher state. And on a deeper level, um, the Gemorang Suvus says that a person um, who is deciding to be generous, giving charity, uh, shouldn't give more than one-fifth, meaning 20% of what he has. Um, certainly a person should give at least a tenth, but, but not more than, than a fifth. And uh, even in that, we can see this concept play out again. If we think about why does a person give at least a tenth? Giving a tenth uh, is the recognition that the tenth part of the thing is special, is, is Kaddish. Is, is, uh, and since that tenth part is special, it can be uplifted and, and turned into something that's relevant to the, a godly service. In, that, in what way is the tenth special? Um, so the, the number ten is in mathematics a very a very significant number because ten is uh, finishes off the unit. It gives wholeness and completion to the entire thing. With uh, the other nine are all just more and more and more and more numbers. The tenth one is doing something very different. It's combining all of them, uniting them into into a single entity that is a special aspect. That's an uplifted part. That's something that's fit for a Dover Kaddish. That's why by Meiser Behema, Meiser means a tenth. Uh, whenever the tenth thing is always Kaddish. Uh, that's that's what you see in the Torah. Also, obviously, the letter Yud itself is the smallest letter. It's a tiny little letter. It doesn't have a body to it. It's not physical like the other letters, and it's a more spiritual letter. Um, so that's that's a tenth. That's that's obvious. But here, the Gemorik Suvos is telling us that a person shouldn't give more than a fifth, meaning twenty percent. Where where do we see the wisdom in that? Where do we see this concept? of only giving the very special to Hashem. So the Maral explains that uh, a fifth also, uh, just like the 
the number 10, the Yud, uh, Yud is a numerical value 10, is a special number, is a holy number. When you get to 10, you get to a special number. So the truth is, on a deeper level, even when you get to 5, it's a special number. So you can, if you want to, you can have an Ayn Tov, have a deeper eye, a better eye, where you can see the spirituality even in the fifth. means every person that thinks for, for a little bit sees the spirituality in the tenth, sees the specialness in the tenth, the transcendence in the tenth. But the truth is that you can find that same transcendence in the fifth. You just have to look a little bit harder. So we, we find a remez, a hint to this, in the letter hey itself. So the letter hey doesn't, uh, at first glance, seem to have a spiritual aspect to it, the way that the Yud does. But the truth is that if you look at deeper at the letter hey, you discover that the letter hey is a composite of a Dalid and a Yud, and an upside-down Yud. Right, so the the little leg inside the hay is actually an upside down yud. So that means you got this little yud um, kind of surrounded by this giant dalid. Um, so that means, as opposed to just the yud by itself, the letter yud, which represents something spiritual, something transcendent. Here, there's a deeper aspect of that yud, which is sunken in to a the a world. Of the Dalad, the Dalad always represents, of course, physicality. The Arbaruchu Shalolam, the four directions of the world, are represented by the letter Dalad, both in the fact that the Dalad has a numerical value four, as well as that the Dalad uh, has the you know, represents the Cartesian axis, so to speak, the you know the the x-axis and the y-axis, right? The that's the that's a, another allusion to the concept of uh, the four directions of the world. So the Dalit always represents physicality, and then the the fifth part, so that's the, the f- four parts, is physical, and the fifth part of that is spiritual. And that fifth part is represented diagrammatically with the upside-down letter Yud inside the Dalit. I mean, that fifth part that heart that throbs and 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 uh, not throbs that that uh, beats and uh, and sends life to that those four extremities to those four directions of the dalad the heart in the middle of it just like a person has four extremities all the way on the outside interacting with the physical world the two hands and the, and the two feet um, but a person also has the heart that's in the middle that is pulsating and sending life through the person. And that really is a transcendent feature. That's, that, is, uh, that also speaks to a higher place. Uh, it's just that it's the Yud uh, that, that is kind of sunken into the Dalit. It's Unlike our mind, which can be Kaddish, that's obvious, obvious to anyone, that the head, the brain is separate from the body, that's like the Yud, uh, that's, uh, but that's the one-tenth, that's the, that's the one out of ten is the Kaddish, that's obviously Kaddish. But the truth is that even the inside, even the heart, even the one-fifth is really Kaddish. But, uh, so then that, those parts we can see 
as being separate, as being transcendent. That's what you make a truma out of. That's what you elevate. That's point number one we wanted to discuss in the in, in the aspect of making truma. Now coming back to the second observation, the observation that the pasuk says truma three times. So Rashi brings um, that yes, the, the three times that the pasuk says truma over here is to allude to the three trumas that we took, the three trumas, the three de- dedications that Klausel made towards the Mishkan. Um, every person gave two half shekels. Uh, towards the construction of the Mishkan, which means one full shekel, but it was represented as two half shekels. That's two trumas, uh, one half shekel towards the making of the adonim, the silver um, sockets that the that the um, krosham, the pillars, stood in. Uh, and uh, and then the other half a shekel was towards the ongoing sacrifices, was towards the the the, 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 the purchasing of the daily animals that would be brought, that would be the carbon seaboard. And then the third truma is the one that our pasuk is talking about, is the the voluntary offering towards the construction of the Mishkan itself. So again, we have three trumas. We have the voluntary. Uh, the of people giving all sorts of materials towards the construction of the Mishkan, that's one number two is the half a shekel towards the Adonim, the silver sockets and then number three is the half a shekel towards the uh, the community offerings so the Gurarie points out of that this is not by coincidence these three trumas, but rather that uh, as we know the Mishkan was given to us as a tikkun for the Cheta Egel that Klausel performed. So the rectification to the Cheta Egel has to be done on all levels that a person uh, was involved with the Cheta itself. So Klausel were involved with the Cheta in three different aspects. Our Neshamas were involved. Our bodies were involved and our money was involved. So in all three of those, there has to be a truma, there has to be an elevation of, of, those, uh, of those aspects of us uh, in the Mishkan and that's going to help to atone, to be mechaper for the Chet Eagle. So the, obviously the Adonim, the silver sockets, those are like the shoes for the crushum for the for the pillars, right? The pillar stands inside the silver socket. The silver socket rests on the ground. It's the seemingly the lowest part of the entire Mishkan. It's the most physical part of the entire Mishkan. And it's what the entire Mishkan stands on. That corresponds to the body. On the other hand, the carbonus the sacrifices, the, the animal sacrifices, the spilling of their blood, going in the Mizbeach, and all of that, that of course represents the rectification of our, uh, of our nefesh, of our, of our, um, the spirituality that possesses our body, right, that we're not just a 
physical entity, but we're also a spiritual entity, and that and that life force, that spirituality that went against Hashem, now brings sacrifices to fix that. So that's the that's okay. So that's really the highest thing that happens in the in the in the Mikdash, Meaning, yeah, on the one hand, uh, we had to all contribute towards the building of the physical body of the Mishkan, and then now we're contributing the half a shekel towards the actual operations, towards the actual carbonus. That's really the tachlus, the purpose of the Mishkan, is to have the carbonus happening in it. So that's the that's the nefesh or the neshama, however you want to phrase it. Um, and then and then finally, uh, the the people that sinned with the money, uh, the, the, the people gave towards the making of the eagle, they gave their money. So now they give their money towards the construction of the rest of the Mishkan itself, and that's, that uh, is uh, fixing up for the money. That, and this is uh, very uh, perfectly bal- um, correlates to the what people did. The people sinned, um, every person sinned with their body and with their, with their nefesh, and that was equal for all. Everyone has only one body, and everyone has only one nefesh. And so every single person then brings half a shekel for the Adonim and a half a shekel for the communal offerings. And of course, it's no coincidence the two half shekels combine to make up a shekel. It means just like the body and the soul combine to make up the person, so too over here, um, the Adonim and the Karbonus those are the two things. There's the physical body of the Mishkan, which is represented by the Adonim, and then there is the actually what happens in the Mishkan. That's the Karbonus. So those are the two parts. So the half a shekel and the half a shekel combined to make up a full shekel. A full shekel, that's a full person. A person is a composite of body and soul. That's uh, what's why every person, no matter if he's rich or poor, had to give a, a shekel which means two half shekels, one corresponding to his body and one corresponding to his soul. On the other hand, the nedavas, the voluntary offerings that we're talking about in this week's parsha, we're all commanded, to, everyone should give something as a truma from their wealth. Now, how much should you give? Well, it depends how much wealth you have. Uh, just like people gave different amounts towards the golden calf, some people pulled off an earring, some people took off an entire necklace, some people gave a ring. Different people gave different amounts towards the building of the golden calf. Different people have different financial abilities. So different people give differently towards the construction of the Mishkan as well and depends on their independent wealth. Now an interesting uh, caveat over here is a person might ask, okay, but it's not fair. We have one person that uh, you know, he's really actually much richer than the other one. But he's but he decides to give towards the Mishkan only uh, only one bar of gold or only a couple of bars of silver. Whereas the other person who who's a lot less rich than he is, but he gives five bars of gold and, and ten bars of silver. So how do we see that this is a rectification for, for even the rich man's wealth? Uh, he has so much more wealth, and, and he's not giving because, because it was made as an adava. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable insight 
over here from the Gurarye that a person's wealth is defined by what they can give. So the first person they could only manage to give, of course, we're talking about that they're giving towards the Mishkan, they're looking to atone for themselves, they want to get closer to Hashem. What can he give? So the first person that we call the rich person, he can only give one bar of gold, he can only give a couple bars of silver, that's because he really feels he has so little money. Whereas the other person that we've called the much less rich man, uh, but he gave five bars of gold and ten bars of silver, in truth, that man is richer. The second man is really richer. He has more liquid uh, assets. He can spend that money. The first person feels like he can't spend that money. How am I going to live tomorrow if I don't have $10 million in the bank? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my grandchildren? My great-grandchildren? I only have $50 million in bonds for my for my grandchildren who says that that's enough to assure the, uh, that they're going to have what to live on. So that man is, is, is a poor man. He doesn't have any disposable income. He indeed is poor. He, a person's wealth or poverty is defined by his worldview. Ezu Asher, right, so the, the, the Gemara in Shabbos asks in, in Bememad Likin, Ezu Asher, and gives a, a number of different answers. Uh, someone who's happy with his lot, right, so if I have plenty, then I can spare lots. I don't. I, I, have, I have more than what I need. Towards Avodos Hashem, I have a lot. But somebody else, that even though on the books, he's got a lot more money, maybe, but if he is attached to that money, he, he feels insecure without that money. So he actually, he's a uh, Nebuch, he's a, he's a person who doesn't have a disposable income. He doesn't have the, what he could spend, what he could spend on the mitzvah, what he g- could give towards the mishkan. So then, that's that's appropriate amount to give. Every person, if they give, nidivisli, they give the, from the goodness of their hearts. So they're giving each person on his madriga. That's the uh, unbelievable insight over here, and important to notice. Coming back to the other two trumas the truma towards the Adonim and the truma towards the Karbonus is that a person is made up of two parts made up of the body and made up of the, of the Neshama and you see the Adonim the silver sockets are an analogy to the body the body is something that is interacting with the physical world it's stuck down in the mud and the truth is that if not for the body the Neshama could never be here it could never be doing all these mitzvahs and it's only because of the body's uh, housing that, that, that it's able to do that. That's why the bodies represent Davka as an Adan, as a socket. Socket is something that accepts something else inside of it, that allows something else to be here, right? And while it's stuck in the mud, the Mishkan stands up above, and Karbonus are able to be brought, and Avodus Hashem is able to be done, and that's all thanks to the silver Adanim. 
But they have to be silver. They have to be beautiful. They have to be transcendent. They have to be not themselves involved. If you want your body to be a proper housing for for the carbonus, for the communal offerings to be taking place, to be a place for the for the mezbeach Hashem, then the body has to be a body of silver. Silver is not going to react with the mud. If it would be adonim that are made out of out of wood, the wood would quickly rot, being stuck in the ground all the time. It would quickly get wet and rotten and fall apart. And uh, it specifically has to be made in a very uplifted, beautiful way. A, a goof kodesh, a holy goof, can be involved in the physical world, but not impacted by it at all. And that is the housing for the Avodos Hashem of the Neshama, of Bnei Yisrael, that Hashem we should be Zoha to not only be bringing Karbonus with our Neshamas, but also have a goof that's Zach Venaki, refined and clean, Tahor, Mikol Zuoma, pure from all filth and mud of Olomazeh, and it should be a housing for our Avodos Hashem. A good Shabbos.